When you find the Gospel of John, a very familiar passage this morning, John chapter 14. In fact, it's one I read this last weekend at a graveside. John chapter 14. Few things in life sort of bring out or evoke feelings or have more associations, sometimes for better or worse, than the place we call home. From the homesick child to the person on their deathbed, we often hear that familiar frame, I just want to go home. Everything about the events in John chapter 14 leading up to it and now in chapter 14 have brought the disciples to the brink of disaster. I mean, what they have considered to be their home is about to just blow up. Betrayal and death hangs in the air. The disciple whom Jesus once referred to as the rock, remember Peter, like you're the rock. He was just told, you're going you're gonna to crumble before the morning comes. Things were going to unravel quickly, and Jesus prepares them for the challenge ahead by talking about this familiar place called home. With some of the most comforting words and familiar words of Jesus, perhaps you've heard it before, John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You got plenty of trouble. No? Let not your heart be troubled. On the night of his own agony, in Luke chapter 22, when he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat, you may remember, was like great drops of blood, Jesus now, on the night of his betrayal, on the night of this agony, he's urging them to step back and consider their situation in a broader perspective. The sense of comfort and belonging they have enjoyed for the past three years as they've spent time with Jesus is about to disintegrate. But Jesus is telling them there's more to home than meets the eye. There is an eternal perspective to keep in mind when you consider home. Jesus opens their eyes to the security and comfort of home that was not only theirs, but was for all who believe in him If you have not yet come to understand, you will over time. The word home for the believer comes to mean so much more. Am I right? Just standing at the graveside this last week and you talk about a home going, right? Home. 1 Peter chapter 1 describes it as an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. It will never fade away. And it is reserved in heaven for you. Well, what is this future hope? John chapter 14. Let's read verse 1 and a few after that. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Amen. Jesus says, believe also in me. It's interesting he needs to say that. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go now to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. Doesn't it just make sense? I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Perhaps the most important feature of this future home is who else will be there. Think about the times that you've spent in laying a person to rest and friends that are on the other side, etc., etc., But perhaps even above all of that is who will be our neighbor? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
Every conversation Jesus has had with his disciples has increasingly been about leaving, departing, going to his father. The immediate context will be his arrest, his crucifixion, his ascension. But Jesus is even moving the conversation beyond that to the prophecy that was given before in Isaiah chapter 65. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. The former will no longer be remembered or come to mind. I like the way it's written in Revelation. He wipes away all tears. Aren't tears the things of regret and sorrow of life? And that's all gone. Isaiah 64 Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard or perceived by the ear, neither has eyes seen what God has prepared in this home, in this place we call heaven. This new home is beyond the reach of ordinary human investigation. It's beyond our ability to just sort of put words to it and fully understand it. You can't click on realtor.com and say, what does this house look like? You can't do that. But John, right? John is later given a virtual tour of heaven in Revelation, as, for example, in chapter 21, and it totally blows his mind. Jesus is now introducing us to a heavenly home where his followers will soon be living. Consider some of the many wonderful features of this new home that John records for us in Revelation, well, here, but then also in Revelation chapter 21. The throne room of the Holy Trinity will be our new house of worship. Imagine that, first of all. Then this new home is spacious, John records, as plenty of room, having plenty of room for all who will be there. Everyone will have their own private, I say balcony, but your windows, whatever it is, however we're looking out upon it, from which we will view walls made of precious stone. We will view gates in those walls made of pearl. We'll look down upon streets that are made of glimmering gold. Talk about clean energy. God will be our light, right? The sun. He'll light. He'll provide all the energy that we need. And we will move about in some fashion with the silence of angels. You won't hear motor cars and smog and all those problems. You'll leave your windows open, your doors unlocked, and the icing on the cake is there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more disease. Unlike mansions on earth, this is not a place reserved for the rich and famous elite of the world. Jesus says all are welcome, and he even says the address is public information. Jesus wants his followers to realize that as comforting and as enjoyable as you may consider your home on earth to be, our ultimate destiny lies in this eternal place we know as heaven. Believers know it as home. But what is this present reality we live in? Thomas, verse 5, we know him, you may know him as doubting Thomas, right? I won't believe unless I see the hands. And Thomas, the same guy, he says to him, Lord, we don't know where you go, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says unto him, you know this phrase? I am the way, the 
truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him, and you have seen him. And we'll see Philip ask a question next. But the doubts of Thomas reveal the need for certainty in a world of charlatans that are preying on people. When people go through hard times and they're facing life and death uh, you know, matters, and we're, you know, we're suddenly faced with what to do with loved ones and probates and wills and properties and all that sort of stuff. And there's, there's plenty of folks out there who want to take advantage of people in that, in that place. But Jesus is not that person. He's not trying to take advantage of his disciples in this moment, but he is providing assurance for them and for every generation to follow. Jesus is not just saying, let me tell you about it. Jesus is saying, let me take you there. In the context of this simple and familiar I am phrase of verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is saying, come, go with me. I have a beautiful memory of this, and I'll share it with you. I don't know if it'll make sense to you or not, but it just touches my heart, which is probably hard to do, but I have, uh, I don't have the picture, but my, my Aunt Isabel in Pittsburgh, that's where my mom was from, my Aunt Isabel, her sister, had a picture of little Isabel, Izzy, little Isabel, and Nancy, my mom. And every picture, it seemed like they were holding hands. Ma, and she said, Ma, your mom, Nancy, always took me by the hand and went to church. She says, that's how I came to know Jesus. And I got to tell you, it's probably not going to be my sermon. It's probably not going to be anything I've said. It's going to be a brother or a sister. It's going to be a friend, a neighbor. It's going to be a co-worker. It's going to be somebody you know, and you take them by the hand, and you say, come, go with me. Let me tell you about Jesus. Now, whether it's reality or not, I even want to believe that when my time comes, when your time comes, that I think, I want to think, I want to believe that Jesus comes and takes us by the hand and says, come, go with me. That's home. That's heaven. And with these words, we're brought to an eternal living relationship as Philip expresses the next question in verse 8. So Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father. Everybody wants to know God. Everybody talks about God. Everybody wants to know something about God. Show us the Father. And it will satisfy me. And Jesus says unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you don't know? Philip he, said, he, he that hath seen me has seen the Father. So then how can you say then, show us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the words that I speak in you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. 
or else believe me for the very work's sake. Believe what I've said is of God the Father, or believe the works that I've done are of God the Father. The author of Hebrews describes Jesus as the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of His person, upholding all things with the word of His power. When He had purged Himself, that's the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, He is now seated down at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven. Now, I don't think Jesus' response here to Philip is uh, a rebuke. I don't think he's, you know, frustrated with Philip. I don't read it that way. But Philip, you may recall, had introduced his uh, friend Nathaniel. Philip introduced Nathaniel to Jesus. That's why I don't think this is a, a rebuke in some way. Uh, Nathaniel was the fellow when he says, hey, come, and, and uh, we found the one that Moses spoke of, right? The prophets have spoken of. Nathanael is the guy that says, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth, right? And Philip said to, to uh, Nathanael, his friend, he says, come and see for yourself. Jesus here is not rebuking Philip, but confirming for Philip that he has witnessed the greatest revelation of God available to man. Not identical to the Father, but the same in power, the same in love, the same in character, the same in every other way to the Father. Remember back in John chapter 4, God is spirit. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ, spirit and truth. John chapter 1, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, the Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, has declared Him. The goal of the Christian life, the focus of heaven, the worship of saints for all of eternity is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one relationship the one question, the one great adventure of man. People talk about it all the time, and then they identify it in so many other ways. But the one thing people want to know is, who is God? What is God? Where is God? And they talk about God in that way. And the, re the response of Jesus is as profound as it is simple there in verse 9. If you have seen me, the Lord Jesus, then you have seen the Father. Now listen. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. The full extent of our relationship to the Father is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ and His response. He didn't offer endless rules. He didn't give us countless regulations. He didn't add another rung to the ladder of your attempts to be righteous and good enough to try to get to this, this uh, thing out there some people just look at as God. Rather, Jesus offered a loving, living relationship with God, His Father, through Himself. The question, where is God? The question, how do we get there? It's answered in relationship to Jesus Christ. His life was God's life. His words were God's words. His works were the works of God. And so verse 11, he says, If you can't believe in God from the things I've said, 
then surely you can believe in God from the works I've done. My friend, to know Jesus is to know God. And may I just add, there's no other way to know God apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is God? How do we get there? How will I know Him if I see Him? Whatever you believe about God, however you identify God, however you talk about this place called heaven, whether you, whatever your thoughts of, of heaven, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your present ideas of what God must be like are not the God of the Bible. Apart from the revelation of what you know, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in relationship to Jesus, we know we have now a dynamic usefulness in this life. Verse 12, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, Jesus, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater. If you have King Jimmy, it's, it's in italics. Do you see it? Works. It's just greater things, all right? Then these shall he do because I go to my Father. There's an interesting reason for that. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I'll do it. And the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, first of all, the dynamic of these verses must be taken in their full understanding. Don't try to make anything more of it in one part then it's true of the whole of these verses in the context. For example, and I mentioned it, that second word there in verse 12 for works, it's not there in the original. The reason I make a big deal about this is that some people will take the works of Jesus and then he says, and then the works of Jesus will do more of the same. That is not at all what is being said here. It's simply saying, and the NIV gets it right on this one, the NIV simply says greater things, just greater things. What Christ has done has confirmed his power, his authority, the revelation of God, and you as believers, greater things will transpire. Not more of the same works that you've witnessed, but something greater, something more dynamic, something more wonderful, something more eternal will be witnessed by the disciples than even raising somebody from the dead, and you ask yourself this question, what in the world could be greater, greater things, greater something, what could be greater than raising somebody from the dead? Well, think about it. Every person Jesus fed, every person that Jesus healed, and even every person whom Jesus raised from the grave. Think about it. They still got hungry, so they had to eat again. They still got sick, and oh yeah, they eventually still what? Died. What could be greater? Well, I would take you forward in the story in the book of Acts, and I would take you to the story of Peter, that rock that crumbled, denied, but now he's restored in his relationship, and he preaches in thousands, and sense upon thousands, 
have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. People still get sick. People still die. But how many thousands have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through preaching of those like Peter? I put down some others. William Carey, if that's a name you know, in India. Adoniram Judson in Burma. David Livingston in Africa. Hudson Taylor in China. Nate Saint in Ecuador. Or telling your neighbor or raising up your child or altering the course of a friend for all of eternity because you have introduced them to the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. May I just say, wherever the gospel has spread, lives have been improved, but you can't get that backwards. Because lives, even though they might be improved, healed, fed, whatever, you know, even though they might be healed, without the Lord Jesus Christ, it is at best temporary. It would seem to me that the greater thing to happen would be the result. I think this is what Jesus is referring to. Would be the result of the outpouring and the subsequent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Greater things. To know that within me as a believer is the power of the Holy Spirit. And to have the confidence within my own spirit, my own heart, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt my eternal destiny has been secured for me in a place that I can call home. That's the greater thing than having any temporary miracle that may happen. John chapter 16, he says, I tell you the truth, it's, it's expedient for me that I go away because if I don't go away, he says, the Comforter, it's a capital C, the Comforter. Some of you know who it refers to. The Comforter will not come. If I don't go, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you, which, he says, is a greater thing. What is Jesus referring to? The Holy Spirit. The dynamic element of these greater things, that is the thing that makes it all work together, is when we place ourselves at the disposal of the Holy Spirit in the work of the gospel. And this is not a passive step, but it's a conscious decision to trust. And I take you back up to verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Now more and more, people are no longer have a sense of God. But, you know, when I grew up, everybody talked about God. I mean, there was something about God, you know, and some conversation of God, right? There was always a conversation about God. And still people have that conversation. And when they're in a moment like life and death and difficult decisions, there's something that they want to know about God. Do you believe in God? That's great. What did Jesus say you must do? Believe in me also. You must believe in Jesus. The fundamental issue of life is who can we trust, right? You're always looking for somebody to trust. What can you trust? What carries the weight of confidence in your life? Some people look for answers within their own self. Others will look for answers within science. Some move about in the safety of crowds, thinking, well, they can't all be wrong. But can anything else satisfy your soul other than the Lord Jesus? And by the way, your soul is not something the preacher has to tell you what it is. No theologian needs to convince you about it. It's the reason you get out of a burning house. It's the reason you abandon 
a sinking ship. And it's the reason when your wife calls you and says, well, I just was in an accident. It's the reason you don't say, how is the car? (laughs) Because the only thing you want to know is, did everybody get out? Okay. You know, in moments like that, you know the difference between things that are temporal and things that are eternal. The extent to which God has gone to reach the lost, first by sending His Son and then by leaving us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is a God that I believe you can trust in, both now and forevermore. Do you believe in God? You must also believe in Jesus, because without Jesus, you would have no hope of understanding this place that I can call home. Do you know home? The home I'm talking about? Do you have a sense of security in that thought? Only through the Lord Jesus Christ.